Recovery Elevator, episode 463. You know, I really became a heavy drinker when I was really isolated. And so if I got sober, but didn't remedy the underlying problem, which is feeling connected to other people and feeling like I was loved and understood and I could be honest, then I was going to end up in the same spot. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill, and I'm so excited to be here with you today. On today's episode, we have Zach. He's 34 years old from Richmond, Virginia, and took his last drink on July 18th, 2023. Great job, Zach. I want to say thank you to all our Cafe Ari chat hosts. You guys do an incredible job. Thank you for your time. Listeners, today is going to be a good day. In fact, today has already been a good day. I want to give a shout out to Lee M in the UK, who has listened to all 463 episodes of the RE podcast. Wow. And thank you to all of our journey listeners who have done the same. And I want to give a shout out to all of our first time listeners, as today is January 1st, and ditching the booze is a common goal for the new year. Now, what is this podcast all about? I can summarize it quickly. It's about ditching the booze, reconnecting with yourself, and having fun along the way. Now, I personally did not quit drinking to take myself too seriously in this life. If your goal is sobriety this new year, consider our dry January course Restore, which starts tonight. So go ahead and get your register on. There's a link in the show notes. Our first session is tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern. If you want to take a break for a month or say adios for good, this course is for you. We meet 14 times as a group live in January on Sundays, Mondays, and Wednesdays via Zoom. You're going to learn all about alcohol addiction, what it is, what it isn't, how to beat cravings, and you're going to learn many different recovery pathways. And the best part about this, listeners, is you won't be doing this alone. Again, there's a link in the show notes to register. I hope to see you guys tonight. On January 27th, we start our six-week alcohol-free ukulele class. This course is geared to the beginner ukulele player, and we're going to have a lot of fun. This course is sponsored by Kala Brands Ukulele. Thank you, Kala. And check the link in the show notes for more information. Registration is now open. And before we get any further, let's hear from my favorite NA brewing company, Go Brewing. Go Brewing is redefining the non-alcoholic craft beer landscape, and we are thrilled to have them as a partner on our podcast. Since launching in 2023, they've become a standout, fulfilling almost 25,000 orders across the U.S. and creating an impressive array of 23 distinct beer varieties. Their expertise hasn't gone unnoticed. Go Brewing won the gold and silver medals from the prestigious Best of Craft Beer Awards for their innovative brews, suspended in a sunbeam pills, and Sunshine State Tropical Hazy IPA. Innovation is at their core, and they are pushing the boundaries of beer crafting. This includes pioneering gluten-free beer, like their wellness-infused Freedom Chill, enriched with ashwagandha and L-theanine. Their latest sensation? A double IPA that's a hit with beer enthusiasts, brimming with mosaic, citra, and Simcoe hops. And here's something special for our listeners. Save 15% off with the code ELEVATOR, plus free two-day shipping on orders of three six-packs or more. That's right, order it today, and in two days, it will be at your doorstep. Go Brewing is more than a brand for many. Their beer is a tool for people who want the experience without the alcohol. If you missed it, you can save 15% off with the code ELEVATOR, plus free two-day shipping on orders of three six-packs or more. Okay, let's get started. This is only the second time in the RE podcast history that an episode has dropped on the 1st of January. So I kind of have to talk about change since it's the first day of the new year and this podcast is all about change. Dramatic change, in fact. I phrase the level of change this way. Quitting drinking is the one domino that will knock all the other dominoes down in your life. For me, it was the one thing that was holding me back. I'm alive right now because I made the decision to quit drinking. So today we are going to talk change and a healthier way I want you to make change or a better way to view it. 
So New Year's resolutions are fun to explore in the mind, and our real-time emotions can even give us positive feedback on the new 2.0 version of yourself that is right around the corner. But researchers suggest, but researchers suggest that only 9% of people that make resolutions complete them. In fact, research goes on to show that 23% of people quit the resolutions by the end of the first week, 43% by the end of January, and another 25% in February. So here is the main reason why these New Year's resolutions fail. And it's the same reason why the war on drugs has failed or the war against poverty, terrorism, and so on. Our energies swing all the way to the other side of the spectrum. In other words, we are still out of balance. So let's take the classic joining the gym for example. We've all seen the treadmills packed on January 1st. In fact, you may be listening from a treadmill right now. And then on January 14th, those treadmills are mostly empty again. So we see we've got some extra LBs we want to lose. Then in our mind, we go to battle against our flabby arms or midsections. It's almost a punishing of sorts, as many of us do have busy lives and we have to hit the gym either before or after work. We view the gym as the means to the ends and we don't enjoy the journey at all. We miss the journey. When we go to battle against our flat tire, we are doomed to fail because you're battling part of you that needs to be loved. You'll find yourself in attack mode against yourself. Your inner child is straight up flipping you off. In addition, you've placed your personal happiness in the future on the condition you lose the weight. With drinking, we find ourselves addicted to alcohol. Then the mind comes up with the idea that we need to not be addicted to alcohol. Then we become addicted to the idea of not being addicted. Now this is equally out of balance. So that is the word I want to plant with you today as we begin the new year, which is balance. On our sobriety journey, we cannot fight or go to battle with an alcohol addiction. You've all heard the phrase, don't shoot the messenger. The drinking is the symptom that something bigger is out of balance in your life. Why would you want to wage a full-on war with the messenger? It wouldn't work. So again, the idea I want to plant with you today is balance. And being out of balance at times or during chapters of your life is also totally part of a normal human life. You need them both. You must know unbalanced to know balance. So in terms of quitting drinking and not going overboard in the theater of war against yourself, let's keep this simple. Let's try to keep it in balance. All you have to do today is one thing, and that is not pick up a drink. Again, that is to not pick up that first drink. Are we quitting for a lifetime? God no, because that would be out of balance. We are only quitting for today. Now back to the idea of being addicted to not being addicted. And I first heard that idea or concept from a Ram Dass talk. I love that guy's talks. Okay, so probably six months ago, I was in line at a gas station on a Friday night observing, or better said, judging the customers in front of me, who all had six packs of beer in their hands, bottles of wine, you get the point. I have been addicted to not being addicted before. I remember saying to myself, suckers, as I watched the clerk scan bottle after bottle through the point of sale system. Now I look down at what I'm holding in my arms on a Friday night, and I've got two maple donuts, a bag of peach rings, and some beef jerky. I realized I'm no better or no worse than the others in the checkout line. I too am seeking balance. And side note, I'm okay with being way out of balance with my maple donut consumption. Listeners, I do want to mention one more time, if January is the goal to take a break from alcohol, you're going to up your chances significantly if you join us at Restore. If it's not for you, we always do refunds, no questions asked. Now, before we hear from Zach, let's hear from my favorite resource on this journey, Cafe RE. When I decided I wanted to pursue an alcohol-free life, I knew I didn't want to do it alone. I joined Cafe RE almost immediately after I found it, and I was so surprised at the amount of grace, support, and love that was offered to me right away. One of the things I quickly realized was that I had a lot in common with the people in this community, people all over the world with similar feelings and struggles that understood me. Community matters, and lining up with people that have the same goal in mind really helped me stay the course on my journey especially when I came across bumps on the road. When joining Cafe RE, you get 24-7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to live an alcohol-free life. These groups are capped at under 400 members to ensure quality connection. 
In Cafe RE, you'll find that quitting drinking can be fun. For $24 a month, you get access to the community, you get paired with an accountability partner if you request to be matched, you can attend educational online webinars, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and more. You'll also get discounts to retreats and sober travel trips. 10% of monthly fees goes towards our service project, where we work with a nonprofit helping those who have been affected by addiction. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I can't wait to meet you there. Zach, how are you? Hey, I'm doing all right. How are you? Yeah, not bad, Zach. Thank you for joining us on the Recovery Elevator podcast. Let's get right into this. When was your last drink? My last drink was July 18th, 2023. Yeah, my man. Congratulations. At the time of this recording, we're a little ahead of schedule. You've got 95 days alcohol-free. Phenomenal stuff. How do you feel? I feel good. Uh, definitely on the, you know, the the craving and the detox and all that's pretty pretty far in the rearview mirror. So I'm I'm just kind of learning to enjoy this life. Absolutely. Great job, my man. Before we get into your story in terms of addiction, into it, out of it, give listeners a little background about yourself, Zach, where you're from, uh, what do you do yeah. for a living? Maybe you have a family. And most importantly, what do you like to do for fun? Sure. So I, uh, I'm originally from California. That's where I was born and raised. I live in Richmond, Virginia now. I've got two boys. Uh, they're five and seven. They live nearby with their mom. And uh, I'm a technical writer for the federal government. For fun, I'm a, a big big gym guy. I just like to go to the gym and throw heavy things around. And I also like going on hikes and being outside. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Would you go hiking in, in Virginia? Yeah, the Blue Ridge Mountains are nearby. I've hiked part, hiked part of the AT here. Uh, it's a great area, especially in the fall right now because it's just so beautiful and nice and cool. Yeah, John Denver talks about the Blue Ridge Mountains in a song called Country Roads, I believe, if I'm not, if I'm oh, not mistaken. Oh, yeah, every. Every time I drive through West Virginia, that's immediately there's a song that comes in as I drive through that tunnel. Yeah, there we go. We covered that song at, at one of our retreats last year, and it seems like the universe is just boom. Everywhere I go, I'm hearing country roads. Great song. It could be a lot worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. Let's do what we came here to do, Zach. Go ahead and start with your story, and I'm going to let you start where you want. Maybe when your first drink, maybe when things got bad. Take it away. Yeah, sure. So I grew up in a pretty like conservative, my parents were teetotalers, so they didn't drink, or at least that's what they told me. I found out years later, my dad did. But um, I grew up in a home where alcohol wasn't really a thing. And even through college, I went to a really small school and they had that pretty locked down. So my first drink was probably right out of college, um, which I know is kind of unusual for most people. And I would consider myself a normal drinker for most of my 20s. There weren't really any problems. I would drink occasionally with my wife at the time or with friends or watching a game, but but no real issues. And then for me, the problems really started in uh, 2018, 2019. I uh, had kind of a volatile childhood and had just kind of repressed and stuffed a lot of that self, that stuff in my head and never really dealt with it. So... 2018, 2019, I got let go from a nonprofit I was working at. It was kind of a really rough experience. And so during that unemployment season, there was a lot of open space for my mind to start to say, hey, we never dealt with this. So let's start dealing with it. And really quickly, it escalated into not sleeping a lot, panic attacks, anxiety attacks, that type of thing. And so in late 2018, I was really having a hard time even functioning. Um, I'd gotten a new job, but it was in manufacturing. And so the hours were really crazy. You know, I was getting up at 3.30 in the morning, coming home at five at night. And I should have been exhausted, you know, just go to bed, put the kids in bed, go to bed, everything's good. But because my anxiety and just the mental health piece of it was so crazy, if I slept, I slept maybe an hour and I would wake up in a cold sweat and just unable to function. So that's around the time I would say my drinking became problematic so I just turned to beer at the time and it was the thing that helped me sleep. And so it wasn't like, I just want to go get hammered. It was, I physically need to sleep. Like my body is starting to shut down if I don't do this. And so 2018, 2019, that's kind of how I functioned. Eventually I was able to get some 
mental health care and kind of came out of that. But definitely during that period is when I established a pattern of drinking. That's when it really became this, like not an occasional beer, but a nightly ritual. Yeah, Zach, there's a term we've heard on this podcast. It kind of has a negative connotation, but I don't agree with that. It's called self-medicating. And that would be with alcohol, right? Alcohol is a powerful tranquilizer, a sedative, a depressant, whatnot. Mm. Um, You know, once you realize that beer is doing the trick, right? Did you get in like a new homeostasis and say, all right, this is my life. I'm drinking X amount of beers per night. This is working. And then was there another voice saying, wait a second, we are just drinking uh, our problems away. Yeah, there definitely was another voice. It was my spouse at the time. She was okay. the one saying, hey, this is kind of getting out of control. It wasn't even internal. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> and, and even then, it escalated pretty quickly. You know, I would go through a 12-pack in a day just to just to sleep. And so by beer three or four, in theory, I, I should have been sleepy, and I just kept going. And so 2019, was able to stabilize some and maybe even improve a little bit. And that's when I really started going into AA a good bit, just checking out the rooms. Uh, I was definitely like a fly on the wall, didn't participate, didn't think I needed, you know, that type of group interaction. I I wanted to do it alone. I thought, you know, I can handle this. I'm an adult. I don't need what all these other people need. Yeah. And listeners, I want to say that is the natural trajectory for almost everybody that finds sobriety eventually, unless you have such a fiery physical or emotional rock bottom, which isn't necessarily a bad thing because it can propel you into sobriety, but that is a natural trajectory. So in 2018, in 2019, it sounds like you're self-medicating with beer um, and alcohol. And look, I know judgment here. I know there's a bunch of listeners going, yep, I hear you. I'm doing it. I did it. That was myself. And then I think there comes a time where you say, look, this is not sustainable. And the Mm -hmm. efficacy of, of the molecule alcohol is losing its power. I'm having to drink more and more. Um, did you experience that happening? Absolutely. It it very much turned from, oh, I like to drink because it tastes good and maybe like a little buzz to this is just how I function now. And my wife and I had split up in 2020, part because of my drinking, there was some other stuff going on. And so that was when it was kind of my first wake up call where I said, I really need to lock this down. We were kind of trying to reconcile, figure it out. And so I had probably a couple months sobriety during that period where at this point, COVID is in full swing. So I, I have gotten sober online, you know, zoom meetings are great and was in the rooms and even working with some friends who weren't in addiction or alcohol, uh, alcoholic, so to speak, but I never really bought in. So I was always still kind of like, I might say something in a meeting every now and then, but I was still kind of a fly on the wall. And in 2021, our divorce was finalized. And that's really when I think I took a swan dive off the deep end. That is when I got a new job and the pay was great and had to relocate to another part of the state where I would, you know, on my weekends, I'd go to see my kids and spend time with them. But that transition from kind of being sober, uh, playing around with sobriety to full-blown alcoholic, at least for me, would have been in early 2022. So end of 2021, 2022. And at that point, you know, beer wasn't good enough. Wine wasn't good enough. I just went for liquor. And so that's when, you know, as my life had kind of bottomed out from my divorce and I was in a new place, didn't have a lot of friends, was trying to figure things out. I just drank to cope. And the hardest time for me in particular was the weekends because all of my peers at work and I had made great friends. They're great people, but they all had family. And so I'm a single guy in his early thirties in a new town. And so I would go home Friday night and have no interaction, meaningful interaction until Monday morning if I didn't have my boys that weekend. And so, you know, drinking, you know, blackout drunk started, you know, on Friday night and then carried into Saturday, Sunday. And then I'd try to sober up Monday morning, but I'm sure as you know, like that, it never stays in the, in the days you want it to do. So it just progressed until, okay, Monday morning, what if I drink a little bit before work? And then it became this ritual where I was thinking about it the other day. I don't think I was, I was either buzzed or drunk at work most of 2022. And because of what I did, I was able to hide it a lot. We're still in masks from COVID. And so people couldn't smell it as much. And it was this thing that, you know, I told myself it's only going to happen on the weekends. And within probably a month or two, it had taken over every part of my life. Wow. Okay. Within a month or two. Yeah, absolutely. And it was, it was me medicating. I, I didn't know how to deal with loneliness or the hard emotions of, 
you know, newly divorced, getting used to living on my own, not having my kids around all the time. And so that's just how I coped during that season, put on a ton of weight. And it was during that season, I got a, a DUI also. And that was when I realized, okay, this is a, a problem. But there was still that mindset of, I can do this on my own. I don't need people to help me. Sure. Sometimes you get a DUI. It's the wake up call that we need. I think for everybody that is, it was for myself a couple times. Yeah. <laughs> so when you had that inner revelation, like, all right, this isn't going the right direction. You, what happened next? Did you start to moderate? Did you try to put rules into place? I mentioned, mm -hmm. I remember you said, you're trying to do this alone. I can do this. I got it. No problem. Yeah. What happens mm -hmm. next? So in October of 2022, so about a year ago, I checked myself into rehab. So Betty Ford, Hazelden in, in Florida. And my work was starting to suffer. No one had really caught on to the fact that, you know, I was bringing in liquor or spirits, you know, in a styrofoam cup from the nearby gas station. But they could tell the way I was working, even my social interactions were becoming more and more, not strange or weird, like I just wasn't able to emotionally regulate as well. So in October of last year, I checked myself into rehab. And I think it was at a point where I was able to say, you know, I need help. And it was a great experience. I made some great friends there and I got 17, 18 days sober. And at that point, just function of US healthcare, like my coverage was up. And sure. so that is a story I hear, I hear way too much. Yeah. So I had to check out and go back to work and I probably made it about a month. So we're on 45 days. And then around Christmas, um, that's when you know, that mindset of, you know, I've been good 45 days. Like I'm not an alcoholic. I can, I can handle this now. I just needed like a hard reset. I'm good to go. Sure. And listeners, let me summarize that in three words. I think it's a, the most dangerous words that an alcoholic can say is I got this right. Sounds yeah. like what you said. Okay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so I spent the holidays with my kids. Uh, my car got totaled a couple of days before Christmas. Thankfully I was sober at the time. It was a weird story. But got sober with my kid, uh, was sober with my kids for the holidays and then, you know, went back to where I lived and started to go back to work. And in that season since rehab, I kept telling myself, like, okay, tomorrow I'm gonna get sober. Tomorrow I'm get like this will be the last drink. This will be the last drink. I'm I'm I know this is a problem. I'm going to deal with it tomorrow. And the problem was like tomorrow just never came. And so in February of 2023 this year so this year i showed up at work one day and had been drinking all night the night before drinking that morning and i was in a meeting and it's kind of like when like the cat was out of the bag there was there was no way to hide it anymore i wasn't making sense in a meeting my boss was in the meeting and took over and and i remember thinking because i at least for me the more drunk i got the more confident i was that people couldn't tell i was drunk and so my boss took over and, you know, the meeting went fine. And afterwards, it was actually near the end of the day. And I was thinking, okay, I'm going to go home. And, you know, tonight will be the last night. You know, that was always the mindset. And sure enough, my boss and a guy from HR show up at my desk. Yikes. Yeah, not a great feeling. And so they took me in to an office and we're just like, hey, you know, what's going on? Be straight with us. If you've been drinking, you know, your behavior was inappropriate and you weren't really making sense. And so I did the, you know, typical thing. I lied about it. Like, no, I haven't been drinking on and on and on. And they kept kind of pressuring me. And so finally, I just said, hey, can I just talk to the guy from HR? Like, I just want, I, I couldn't verbalize re the reality of my situation with my boss there. It was too embarrassing. And so sure. he left and I, I just said, hey, like, I have a, I have a big problem. How did it feel when you said, hey? I have a big problem. Oh, I broke down. Okay. Like in tears was just like, I can't, I can't regulate this. I've tried and he knew I'd been to rehab. And so at that point it was, you know, HR was in the loop of what was going on, but it felt almost like a weight was off my shoulders of like this, that I need help. Yeah. And so they, you know, sent me home for a few days. Uh, you know, I think that's kind of typical in that situation. It was like, hey, three days suspended, come back in. We're going to come, we're going to have a plan, you know, to help you get back on your feet. Sure. Let me ask this and, question real quick, Zach. Was that one of the first times that you said out loud to another human being, I have a problem with alcohol? Yeah, definitely someone not in a recovery program. That gotcha. was definitely, and that may have been the first person. Cause even with my ex wife, I would, you know, hem and haw and, uh, I don't have a problem. Like I can handle this. 
And so it was probably, yeah, a guy named Michael from HR at my old job. It was probably the first person I was really honest with that wasn't in AA or some kind of recovery program. I just, and the second I said it, I just, you know, I was buzzed at least. I just burst into tears. Yeah, Zach, I want to make a point here. So when you, we call it burning the ships here, recovery elevator, right? Pretty straightforward. When you do it in such an honest fashion with yourself and another human being present, you said there was a weight lifted, you broke down, uh, you felt relief. And Mm -hmm. so this is roughly five months before your sobriety date of July. This Mm -hmm. also mirrors my trajectory as well. I remember in May of 2014, um, burning the ships with, with my family, just straight up, yo, this is what's really going on. I need help. Can't control it. All that stuff. My sobriety date landed five months after that, uh, shortly after another huge burning of the ships with my best friend. So I don't want to underestimate uh, the power of this for the listeners, guys. This is so important and it can also be so simple, right? It's wrapped up in honesty. It's wrapped up in authenticity. It's wrapped up in being a vulnerable human being. So when we stand face to face, eye to eye to another human being and say, yo, look, this is what's going on. So much happens, I think, at the cellular level with with the awareness that happens with us. The other human being goes, okay, this is what's what we're going to do. Um, so, so listeners, if you're wondering like, what can I do? I can't quit drinking. And you've never told anybody, well, that's an honesty component. You need to first get honest with yourself, right? And and then, and then share that news with some, with, with another human person. And maybe you practice looking at the big dipper or the moon, you need to practice this first, but it's so powerful. Once it happens, it's like, oh my gosh, I feel so much better. I feel so much lighter. I'm no longer alone. Okay. Keep going, Zach. So I went back to work and we had a a couple of really good conversations between HR and my boss and I, and they put me on a performance improvement plan. And, you know, when I finally got let go, like a month later, I, again, was still in active use and drinking, you know, I was pointing the finger at them even then still like, oh, they just wanted to get rid of me. But now, you know, 95 ish days sober, I'm like, yeah, I I definitely deserved that. (laughs) Like I was a liability at that point. So Ended up um, getting let go from my job in late February of this year, 2023. And at that time, my lease was up and I didn't really have anywhere to go. So there were some really good friends of mine who actually had been friends with my wife and I when we were together and I had stayed in touch with them through our divorce. And so they they knew and I had been honest with them, too, about you know my drinking problem. And they were like, hey, why don't you come? back to town. You can stay with us for a while. And like, we're going to help you get back on your feet. So I went back to Columbia, South Carolina, which is where my wife and I had been married before we had, we had our kids and just kind of couch surf between them and some other folks for the next four months. And again, it sounds kind of similar to your story. Like I had finally verbalized, I have a problem. I'm, I'm an alcoholic. And, but even then I was still trying to be sneaky. Like I had said it, but then I real quickly back in my mind, I kept lying to myself like, I, I got this, right? Like, I can do this. I, you know, maybe I've learned my lesson and now I can drink like a normal person. So, you know, ultimately rock bottom came in July of this year. The family I was staying with, you know, I was in therapy at that point, processing like my divorce because I'd never really done that. And then also had been fairly honest about my drinking problem. And the family I was with was going out of town for the weekend. And we had had a very clear conversation of, hey, like we need to have a sobriety plan for the weekend. How are you going to get through this? And so we came up with a plan. And so they left Friday morning and I made it to Friday evening. And, you know, at this point I'd had shoulder surgery. I had really hurt my shoulder a couple months prior and had to have surgery. So I couldn't drive. And so, you know, I got to like six o'clock Friday night and in South Carolina, all of the the liquor stores closed at seven. And so I knew like, if I want, like, I want to drink, but I got to go now. You hit the road. I called an Uber, called an Uber. And then I just spent the rest of the weekend hammered. And, you know, now I think graciously the family, my friends, they're Dan and Melody, they came home Monday and they have a, like a ring camera in, you know, the front of the house, but then also they've got their grand, their mom lives with them and she's real, she's older in age. So they have some cameras in the house just to make sure if she falls or something. And so I had called it during the weekends uh, because I had a question about one of their dogs I was watching. And I could tell by the tone of the conversation, I was like, ah, crap they know they knew the plan went astray yeah yeah (laughs) yeah and so 
they got home Monday night and I did the typical thing where like I was kind of honest and I just wanted to say the right thing to make it go away. I didn't really want to, it's, it's almost like when you have, like when you fall on gravel and you get like all this debris in your hand, like you just kind of like dust it off, but like to really get it better, you have to go in and just scrub the hell out of it to actually deal with the problem. And so what a great analogy about, right there though, Zach. Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> So Monday night, we kind of talked about it. And then Tuesday, maybe it was later Monday night or early Tuesday morning, we sat down and spoke again. And I'll this is why the 18th is my recovery day. Melody really clearly looked at me. And if anyone in this world loves me, it's David Melody. Um, they're just such great friends. And I remember her looking at me like with tears in her eyes. And she said, do you love us enough to be honest? Mm. And so like that is the moment I look back to and it was almost like a broken bone being snapped into place. Like you can function with a broken bone, but until you like snap that thing back in place, it's never going to heal. So that day uh, was super emotional, really anxious, right? Because I'm I'm coming off of all this liquor I've been drinking. And I had a therapy appointment and Dan and Melody were good friends with my therapist. And so they talked to him and he's a really great guy, really um gentle and and he's able to talk to me and say really hard things but in a way that i'll receive and like he brought the heat that day and so i kind of recognized you know this is the last group of people i really have on my side and i'm gonna be on the street real soon if i don't knock it off okay so i mean that's like a moment of clarity right there right so yeah yeah what what happens next so I met with my therapist and we had a real clear plan. Like, you know, and he said, I don't believe you. I, I shouldn't believe you. Why should I believe you? It's going to be different this time. So we came up with a plan of I'm going to do these four things in the next 72 hours. And then we had a follow up appointment for like Friday. And I said, I will get these four things done between now and Friday. And so one of those things for me, and I know everyone's different. Um, so one of them for me was I the craving and the desire to drink alcohol was so intense that I don't know if you've heard of an abuse or disulfiram. Yep. And so I knew in my mind, I need like a rock wall to stop me from drinking. Yeah. Like, unless there's an abuse is your body will provide a negative reaction. If you drink alcohol, such as vomiting or in, intense negative physical feelings. Yeah. Basically someone ex- ex- described it to me as like, you skip, you skip the buzz and go straight to the hangover. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. And so for me, I needed that in the first 30, even 60 days because the craving and the desire to drink was so intense that without that, I don't know if I would have made it. Um, And so I like taking that daily for at least the first couple months allowed me to have the mental and emotional space to start to reckon with all that I had done to myself and others. And so ended up going to my therapist again and Dan and Melody were great. They weren't like kicking me out, but I could tell that I really hurt them. And so during those first couple of weeks, it was apparent to me that I needed more intensive care and I didn't have insurance again at the time. So rehab wasn't really an option. So I started looking around and I found a sober living home in South Carolina. Uh, and so at this point I was able to land a job working for the government and I was working remote. So Went to this recovery home, kind of like a halfway house more than anything. And I spent most of my first 30 days there uh, where, you know, every day I woke up, I would work, um, maybe walk to the convenience store and get a Diet Coke and then, you know, lather, rinse, repeat, do it all over again. And at least in my story, you know, I did rehab and then I did a sober living home and the the place I was at was was okay. There was some kind of like internal house drama, which, you know, if you've never been in a, a halfway house or something like that, you got a bunch of addicts trying to figure out life together. It's going to be a little tumultuous. Sure. And so at that point, I was in South Carolina. My kids were in Virginia. And I just kind of had this moment of clarity of like, why am I still in South Carolina? This doesn't make any sense. So I, I ended up getting in touch with a buddy who I'd met at rehab, and he was able to help me find a place in Richmond. And so that's kind of where I landed now. And it's it's worked out really well. I'm grateful for it. I, I definitely know those first two months was a lot of like white knuckling it. Mm. Uh, like I just have to physically make the right decision. Um, so if I go into a convenience store or grocery store, just don't even look down the, the beer and wine aisle. Like just don't do it. 
it's a terrible idea. Yeah. Listeners, let me summarize the key strategy here for the first one and two months, right? Sometimes you just got to let the body do what it does to get alcohol out of your system, right? That's that's homeostasis. Your body's detoxing and it can take several months. It's acute in the first 72 hours, but sometimes, you know, it's not pretty. The first 30 days, especially, it's just take your body and put it in a position where it can't or it won't drink, right? Um, yeah. Keep going. Yeah. And so again, part of that for me was being really strategic about where I place myself physically, taking interviews for the first couple months was huge for me. And then a big part for me, and I know there's other programs like Smart Recovery, and I think Recovery Dharma is another one or something like that. And then for me, AA is what's worked. So I finally got serious about it. And there was this group that I had kind of bounced in and out of for the past few years. And it was such a neat experience because on my second day sober, I go to this AA meeting and there's a guy who's talking. And I just immediately thought, like, I want what he has. Mm. He's got something I want, and I really want that. And so at the end of the meeting, they asked if anyone wanted a sponsor, which is the AA model. So I raised my hand, and he gave me his number, and I, I've talked to him every day since. No way. Okay. So that's been a positive experience. Yeah, absolutely. And, and for me, I've really learned that I need community. And I see now, like, looking back at my whole experience you know, I really became a heavy drinker when I was really isolated. And so if I got sober, but didn't remedy the underlying problem, which is feeling connected to other people and feeling like I was loved and understood, and I could be honest, then I was going to end up in the same spot. And so, you know, I, I call my sponsor every day. And a lot of times it's just, Hey, man, everything's good. Just checking in. And, you know, we move on. And then we meet like for an hour every weekend and go through the big book of AA. And, and that's helpful too. But that is, has been such a game changer for, for me is having someone who's almost like a mentor who is further ahead. And so when I have a question, they not only have the answer, they have the experience. So there was a funny moment, I guess probably a month and a half ago, we were doing our book study or whatever and reading about like the different types of drinkers. And and um, I remember afterwards asking like, hey, do you ever think I'll be able to drink again? <laughs> and, he, and he like, he was very kind about it. And he was like, Zach, you know, if you make a, a, a cucumber, a pickle, can it ever be a cucumber again? And I was like, no. He said, you're, I, you know, my friend, you're a pickle. So just like deal with it. Uh, and so I have moved on since then just saying, Hey, like, this is what it is. I can, I can piss and moan about it, or I can just accept the fact that this is reality and go have a happy life. Yep. And there's a phrase I've heard before. You're giving up one thing for everything, right? Yeah. yeah and that's kind of where I've landed now where the, the physical piece of it and like my body is recovered and I've dropped some weight, even just cause I'm not drinking anymore. Like my body is physically recovering. I'm, you know, I'm able to use my shoulder again after that surgery I had. And for me, it's become this more of a mental and an internal thing. So I don't have to like, I can go to the grocery store and walk past the the beer and wine aisle. And like, there's no response. It's just, oh yeah, that's there. I don't drink. And so for me, it's more of the internal work of the program that I'm in of dealing with the, okay, alcohol is the symptom. What's actually under there. And and there's been some really neat instances recently. Like I went to a, there was a festival in Richmond a couple of weeks ago and I was supposed to go with a buddy and he ended up telling me, Hey, I can't go. And so I thought, okay, not a problem. So I went there by myself and, you know, lo and behold, who do I see there? My friend and he's with a girl. And, uh, and so for me, that was, you know, after a divorce and then losing a lot of people just because my drinking was so problematic, that was really jarring. Sure. Um, Cause it felt like, Oh, like I'm too much. I have too much going on. I'm just a lot to handle. And so I'm at this festival surrounded by people, you know, alcohol is never more than five feet away from me because people are drinking, listening to bands. And it was this really cool moment where I didn't even read. It didn't even register to me that I was surrounded by alcohol um, because I started to spiral in my thinking. And so there's this cool moment where I sat down and, and was able to just settle and say, okay, what's true. Like, I know this to be true. I know this to be true. This is an assumption that I'm making about this person, which is then leading me to this negative emotional experience. And so I was able to like rewind the tape in my own head and get back to a place emotionally that, you know, 95 days ago, like, straight through the red light would have would have been drinking. And so I think that's one of the things about sobriety I love so much is I'm actually able to experience life, not just the good, but the bad and respond in a way that I can be proud of. 
Zach, that cognitive exercise that you went through at that festival of, okay, this is what's true. This is what's not true. This is the truth that I want to seek. None of that can happen when you're drinking, whether you're hungover, you know, the fog of alcohol in your life, you're playing the tape forward. None of that can happen when you're actively drinking. So yes, it's still challenging. You got to have the bad days to know the good days. You got to know the sour, to know the sweet. Uh, that That's incredible. And we call it playing the tape forward is you can't think yourself or read yourself or listen to yourself out of an addiction. The community is a big part of it. Um, mm-hmm. But you can play the tape forward, which is, you know, what do you think is going to happen if we take a drink? Because there's plenty of backlog in the data to know exactly what's going to happen. So it sounds like you made it through the festival, alcohol-free. We're still, we're still doing it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's funny you you mentioned that because the like my therapist and other people I've talked to, even at the end of my drinking, because I was processing it the next couple of days later with my therapist, and he was like, I want to ask you, how much of when you were drinking was was enjoyable? And I was like, maybe the first 10 seconds. Because for me, it wasn't so much about the experience of feeling buzzed or, you know, the like fuzzies or anything. It was just I was trying to escape pain. But the thing I had used for so long wasn't even working anymore. So like, yeah, that first drink was was great, you know, but I had that Friday night and then all of Saturday and Sunday I kept drinking, but it was just, it wasn't even, it wasn't even doing it anymore. Yeah. Um, yep. So now to come to this place, you know, three and a half, three and a half ish months later where I'm able to accept reality for what it is and actually do the like responsible adult thing and process through it uh, has been a really neat experience. Absolutely. I love it. I mean, what what an incredible transformation. Before we hit record, you said something like, looking back at that guy 95 days ago, he was such a, I think you said idiot or whatnot, but yeah, the transformation, <laughs> it, yeah, the transformation <laughs> that you've made in 95 days is unreal. Transformation that most human beings can live a lifetime without experiencing because you know they don't have to go internal. They're not forced to look at the symptoms because so much of us so much of people in the whole world, I was going to say just the Western world, it's all suppressing symptoms. I think all the things mm-hmm. on the doctors prescribed, none of it gets to the source. It's just pers- it's just suppressing symptoms. And without alcohol in our lives, we have a chance to, to uncover that stuff, to rediscover who we truly are. So before we hit the rapid fire round, Zach, and this has flown by, you've done a great job. Um, walk us through, you know, how are you, you're, how are you, how are you going to get day 95? How are you going to get day 96? What is what does a day in the life of your recovery look like? Yeah, sure. So part of it is I am in a what's called a recovery care or community organization. So it's kind of in between like a halfway house, which is where like the patients run the hospital. Like it's a group of guys just trying to figure it out. And then there's rehab, which is highly intensive professionals around you all the time. So I'm in what's called an RCO. And it's kind of in between where there's some programming, but I work. So I, I only go to the programming that I have time for. But for me, I just... I need to stay in community. And so thankfully I've found a place where I'm going to have that force fed to me until I, I leave. And that's a great experience. And, and between that and being in touch with my, my friends in AA, uh, in the gym, uh, that's, that's kind of how I do sobriety right now is constant community. Um, even re-engaging some friends that from college that I'd lost touch with has been really fun and being honest with them about, Hey, here's what's going on. Uh, but reestablishing old relationships that I thought were done, like I burnt that bridge and there was no going back. So that has been how I do it. And my days are pretty standard, like wake up, work, go to the gym, hang out with people in my house. Yeah. We've heard the word a couple of times, community. Uh, I yeah. think that's the number one value bomb of all 463 episodes of Recovery Elevator is connection. The opposite of addiction. Mm is connection and community is key. We cannot do this alone, but for some reason, the ego, the thinking mind says, yes, I will do it alone. Yeah. The stigma, <laughs> you know, the stigma has something to do with that, but I think part yeah. of the, male, the male culture, we're tough or machoistic. Um, I think it back, I think it backfires a bit for high achievers, for people with sports backgrounds, you know, just do it, just work harder. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and intelligence. I think that backfires too, because you can't think yourself out of this, but collectively right. in a group, your chances of success are way higher. I mean, just go back to Rat Park in 1972, Bruce Alexander's experiment. One rat uh, can't do it. A bunch of rats together, um, they will choose life connection over addiction. It's it's super complicated, this whole thing of addiction, but also at the fundamental level, it's not. It's not at all. Oh, no. I think one of the neat things that's happened in these 95 days is that it's been less intimidating to make friends. So like mm. in my gym, I've made three or four really good friends. They're not in a recovery program or they're not alcoholics. 
they're just people that I've been able to connect with. So I had a really hard time believing in the first few days that I could, would I ever have friends outside of AA and outside of like the recovery community? And, you know, I've been able to make friends again. It's been really neat. So I totally agree that the more people I have in my life, the the less likely I am to drink. Obviously, it's one day at a time, but that's been a huge thing for me. Zach, we have reached the rapid fire round. Answer these questions in 10 to 15 seconds. That would be great. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here we go. Number one, what's the one thing you've learned about yourself since quitting drinking? That I am more resilient than I thought I was. I can get through things and be proud of it. What's your best sober moment? Best sober moment was probably uh, riding a bike with a friend the other day and just enjoying the weather and, and taking in life for what it is and being able to appreciate it. What's your favorite alcohol-free drink? Cherry Coke Zero. Ooh, Cherry Coke Zero. Yeah, mm. I'm diabetic, so I can't have regular soda. So Cherry Coke Zero is, is, is my jam. Yeah, I love Cherry Coke. I had one a couple weeks ago. My goodness, <laughs> this is fantastic. Uh, Zach, what's the point of life? The point of life is to love other people and to be courageous even when you don't want to. Gotcha. Who's your favorite country singer who has the last name of the capital of Colorado? John Denver. <laughs> there we go. Nailed it. Uh, what are some of your favorite recovery resources? So there's an app called The Big Book, and I got sober online. I've, I've not set foot in a real physical AA uh, meeting, and so I use that uh, to go to meetings. And then I Recovery Elevator is kind of just on repeat in, in, in my podcast uh, library, especially when I'm at the gym. It's just something to put my mind on when I'm throwing heavy things. What is your go-to tool to beat a craving? Go-to total beta craving is typically to just go for a walk. And if I need to on that walk, call someone. So normally it's a walk and a phone call. What is your favorite sobriety quote or recovery quote? Oh, there's a good one by a, a lady named Cynthia. I can't pronounce her last name, but it, it's basically for a seed to reach its full expression, it must come completely, un, completely undone. Uh, for To the outsider, it looks like destruction, but to the seed, it's in fact transformation. And, wow. and it, that's probably not, you can look it up or I can send it to you. That's probably not, that's a paraphrase, but it's basically I, to become what you are, you have to come totally undone. Yeah, I follow. Okay, Zach, before we depart, give listeners your own customized, you might need to ditch the booze if line. Uh, yeah, absolutely. This is what I did, which is uh, if you know how to field sobriety test before you get in the car uh, to determine. So like I was going to get pizza once and I was like, okay, can I do this? And I field sobriety tested myself in the driveway. Uh, if you know how to do that, then you probably need to ditch the booze. Yeah, 100% that checks out, Zach. You, uh, We are both <laughs> in the right place right now, my man. Well, Zach, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. You did fantastic. I hope you feel better. This is the best part about my day. Um, keep it going, my man, and keep in touch. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, great job. I wanted to get sober to have a better life. I want to stay sober because I have a better life. Now, I heard this quote from one of our cafe or chats a couple weeks ago. I don't remember who said it, uh, but it was impactful. I wrote it down and now we're covering it. In 2014, I had many lows. But the lowest of lows was when I woke up in a suicide-proof jail cell wearing a suicide-proof garment, which was basically like a foam sumo wrestling suit. I remember eating raisin bran out of a tiny foam bowl, which was pushed into my cell through a small window, which opened and closed. As the police officer pushed the raisin bran into my cell, I remember at least 25% of the milk spilled, and I literally cried over the spilled milk. I wanted to get sober because alcohol was destroying my life. Now, nine years later, I typed this from my house in Costa Rica. I want to stay sober because I have a much better life. Recovery Elevator, it all starts from the inside out. I love you guys.